Hello, this is Tushta Krishna Das, and you're listening to ISKCON Denver podcast, where you can hear all of our classes and kirtans. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share with others. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna.
kind of a little bit of a restricted group. So we will take questions and comments from online, but probably we'll have a little bit of a shorter class for the next few days. Vidya tapo vrata taran mokata sma vipran brahatma tattvam abhitam tatamam tvam asra tat brahmanam parama sarva vipatsu tasi tala pashun iva vipo prakrihita dandaha vidya tapo vrata taran mokata sma vipran brahatma tattvam abhitam tatamam tvam asra Brahmanam Paramasarva Vipatsupasi, Pala Pashuni Babito, Pala Pashuni Babito, Prakrihita Dandaha. So it's a word, and this is Daksha speaking. Vidya, Tabaha, austerities, Rata, vows, Dharan, the followers, Mukataha, Brahmana, Sma, was, Vipran, the Brahmanas, Brahma, Lord Brahma. Atmatattvam, self-realization. Avitam, therefore. Brahmanan, the Brahmanas. Parva, O Great One. Sarva, all. Vipatsu, in dangers. Pasi, to protect. Palaha, like the protector. Pashun, the animals. Iva, like. Vipo, O Great One. Prakrihita, taking in hand. Dandaha, a stick. Shilpapa transition and purport ki jai. This is a prayer from Daksha Lord, uh, Lord Shiva. Speaking of Lord Shiva, Daksha says, My dear, great, and powerful Lord Shiva, you were created first from the mouth of Lord Brahma in order to protect the Brahmanas in pursuing education, austerities, vows, and self-realization. As protector of the Brahmanas, you always protect the regular principles they follow. Just as a coward boy keeps a stick in his hand to give protection to the cows. Shri Prabhupada's purport. The specific function of a human being in society, irrespective of his social status, is to practice control of the mind and senses by observing the regular principles enjoined in the Vedic Shastras. Lord Shiva is called Pashupati because he protects the living entities in their developed consciousness so that they may follow the Vedic system of varna and ashrama. The word pashu refers to the animal as well as to the human entity. It is stated here that Lord Shiva is always interested in protecting the animals and the animalistic living entities who are not very advanced in the spiritual sense. It is also stated that the Brahmanas are produced from the mouth of the Supreme Lord. We should always remember that Lord Shiva is being addressed as the representative of the Supreme Lord. In the Vedic literature, it is described that the Brahmanas are born from the mouth of the universal form of Vishnu. The Kshatriyas are born from his arms, the Vaishyas from his abdomen or waist, and the Shudras from his legs. In the formation of the body, the head is the principal factor. The Brahmanas are born from the mouth of the Supreme Personality of Godhead in order to accept charity for worship of Vishnu and to spread Vedic knowledge. Lord Shiva is known as Pashupati, the protector of the Brahmanas and other living entities. He protects them from the attacks of non-Brahmanas, or uncultured persons, who are against the self-realization process. Another feature of this word is that persons who are simply attached to the, ritualist, to the ritualistic portion of the Vedas and do not understand the situation of the Supreme Personality of Godhead are not any more advanced than animals. In the beginning of Srimad Bhagavatam, it is 
Shiva's aim in destroying Daksha Yajna was to punish Daksha because, by neglecting him, Lord Shiva, Daksha was committing a great offense. Lord Shiva's punishment was just like that of a coward boy who keeps a stick to frighten his animals. Kamala said that to give protection to animals, a stick is needed because animals cannot reason and argue. Their reasoning and argument is argumentum ad baculum. Unless there is a rod, they do not obey. Force is required from the animalistic class of men. Whereas those who are advanced are convinced by reasons, arguments, and scriptural authority. Persons who are simply attached to Vedic rituals, without further advancement in devotional service or Krishna consciousness, are almost like animals. And Lord Shiva is in charge of giving them protection and sometimes punishing them as he punished Daksha. Jai Shokobhagi Jai. Om Jnana Timirakthasya Jnana Jnana Shalakaya Chakshurun Militam Yena Tasmai Shri Gurve Namaha Vamchakal Patrukshya Shri centers around Lord Shiva's service to humanity by protecting the Brahmanas, protecting those who are actually qualified to and have been trained to disseminate spiritual knowledge. Now in previous ages, <clears throat> it was easy to understand the quality of a person from their birth by their astrology and also by the quality of the parents and by careful observation of the child. Although that could change, that could always change because people are mutable, they actually can grow, they can also degrade themselves. But because that system of assessment and training was much, much, much more intact, complete, and supported by other aspects of society than it is now, verses like this require context because it appears that Daksha is glorifying Shiva as the protector only of a certain class of persons class that is determined by their parentage, but that's not actually the case. And Srila Prabhupada, in two different ways, takes great care to protect us, actually, from the misapprehension, the false idea that this is um, a throwback to a caste system, so to speak. This has nothing to do with birth. And he does this in two ways. One is, in the very first sentence of the purport, Srila Prabhupada says, and I quote, the specific function of a human being in society, irrespective of his social status, is to practice control of the mind and senses by observing the regular principles enjoined in the Vedic Shastra. So, regardless of one's social status, regardless of one's birth position, regardless of anything else, if you're human, your specific function as a human being is to do these things. Control your mind and your senses. How? By observing the regular principles that are given in scriptural and scripture. 
So right away, he contextualizes the verse for us. This is not for the Brahmins by birth. This is for you, because you're a human being reading this. It's for you and for everyone else who's a human being. That's one. Two, there's an alternate translation to this verse. If we look at Bhanuswami's translation of how, uh, in his commentary, his translation of Vishwana Chakra, Thakur's commentary on this verse, it centers around not how Lord Shiva was created to protect the Brahmins, but how the Brahmins were created from the mouth of Lord Vishnu, which is referenced by Prabhupada's purport. It's also mentioned in the third canto, I believe, Bhagavatam and other places. But Srila Prabhupada, he actually elects to focus not on the position of the Brahmins per se, but on the position of Lord Shiva in this translation as the protector. And uh, given that Srila Prabhupada started his purport the way he did with that one sentence, it seems to me that his, his priority here for us to understand is the relevance of actually purifying ourselves with the human form of life, regardless of our social standing, regardless of our background and birth, so-called caste, or any other consideration of position or designation. This has to be Srila Prabhupada's priority because this is the priority of the parampara. The priority of our parampara is not to actually reestablish Varnashram for its own sake. The priority of our parampara is to give everybody a chance, everybody, specifically human beings. We can reach out to animals by giving them prasadam, but specifically human beings should be given all facility to actually advance, to realize their relationship with Krishna. And Varnashram and other things are tools to assist in this, useful tools but secondary nonetheless. And this is proven by Srila Prabhupada through Shastra in the purport. He actually refers to a verse without quoting it. He says, if I can find it. Yes, in the beginning of Srimad Bhagavatam, it is confirmed that even though one performs the rituals of the Vedas, if he does not develop a sense of Krishna consciousness, then all his labor in performing Vedic rituals is considered to be simply a waste of time. The rituals in form serve function. The function doesn't serve the form. This is actually a reference to a verse of the second chapter of Bhagavatam. Padma sunrakshtatav, padma sunrakshtatav tomsam vishvak sena kasuyuhud, nodpadayadiyadiratin, shama eva hi kemam. If one performs their, their uh, dharma, their actual function in society, very nicely, but they don't develop rati, attraction, or affection. For Vishvaksena Kata, Kata, the pastimes, hearing about the Lord. If they don't develop an attraction for hearing about the Lord, Shrama Eva Hikevalam. Shrama means useless labor. Eva Hikevalam are three consecutive amplifiers. Certainly, definitely, absolutely, Shrama. It's a waste of time. Whatever you've done socially, it's a waste of time. Because from the absolute perspective, it's going to be taken away at death anyway. Maybe it leaves an impression in the subtle body by which you get a better birth. That's it. But until you actually parlay that into spiritual advancement, real, substantial spiritual advancement, by developing an attraction to hearing about Krishna, Bhagavatam says, Sutta Goswami says in that verse, Prabhupada echoes, Vishwanath, all the Acharyas are saying, you haven't actually gotten anything yet. It's like you're playing a game. You play a game, children's game. In the children's game, there's Monopoly money, right? You play Monopoly or some other game like that. 
And there's a huge casino, that's the material world. It's a massive casino with winners and losers. And it's a giant game, and it means absolutely nothing. Until you cash your chips for the one thing that's actually useful. Exiting the game and actually serving Krishna. <laughs> then all that monopoly money becomes relevant. If it actually convinces you to step away, then that monopoly money actually means something. Otherwise, it's pretty pink paper. <clears throat> so, Shiloh Prabhupada is again asking us to embrace the universality of this message of Bhagavatam. Because according to his thesis statement for the purport, his first sentence, this, this is the specific function of all human beings irrespective of social status. Therefore, all human beings are actually eligible for the mercy of Lord Shiva. Because this verse is saying, Lord Shiva gives his mercy to the Brahmanas. Because they're meant to protect uh, tapa, austerity, truth, scriptural knowledge, learning, vows. But this is not a sectarian consideration. Lord Shiva and other Vaishnavas do not protect people based on their sectarian position. They don't protect persons who are chanting in Sanskrit. They don't protect Indian body persons. They don't protect this ism or that ism. They don't protect men. They don't protect heterosexuals. They don't protect this or that. They, they protect those who want to advance in spiritual life authentically. That is the eternal mission of the spirit soul, and it transcends all designations eternally. Therefore, for one who wants to actually purify himself, who is either understood that that's the goal of human life, or is beginning to understand that, they begin to receive the mercy of the devotees. This is the, the function that devotees play. That's what Lord Shiva did here. He actually offered mercy to Daksha. It looked like he beheaded him. He did. He actually cut his head off. It was a very drastic Lila. Bhagavatam uses extremely dramatic pastimes to hammer home points. Krishna's Lila and the Lila of his devotees has infinite kalpas to draw on, an unlimited time scale that's constantly repeating in the material world, and unlimited universes. Therefore, the Shastra is full of outlandish and amazing things. Because given a long enough time scale, some really, really far out stuff happens. And Krishna is the best teacher. He wants to hammer it home for us. Just like Bhagavad Gita. It takes place in a battlefield. Right before a battle in which literally millions of people are killed. And the stress culminating in Arjuna's being was uh, really something. Um, and helps us as readers to appreciate exactly what Bhagavad Gita is about. Surrender to Krishna and service to him. More keenly than if he was having a nervous breakdown over uh, whether to use the soup spoon or the teaspoon in laying out his dinner tray. Uh, so, Daksha was beheaded, that was quite dramatic, but actually there was Lord Shiva's mercy because he needed that. He needed that. You can imagine, if, uh, if somebody is about to cross the street, they're not paying attention to what they're doing. They're not paying attention to their surroundings. They're, as they say, oblivious. You, you could ignore them. You could think, well, I mean, it's not really my business. You know, like, I don't really, like, need to do anything. But if you really cared, you'd say something. And if you want to really catch their attention, you probably should yell, hey, about to get run over might use some harsh words, you should definitely raise your voice to break through the veil of ignorance. And I can almost guarantee you the first reaction from that living entity would be annoyance and confusion. 
Wanna being yelled at. Wanna being yelled at so loudly. What have I done to deserve that? That in a microcosm is the experience of living entity who's actually being woken. You know, you're you're deeply asleep. The house is on fire. Somebody's trying to wake you up and you're thinking, what is with this person? I'm having the greatest dream here. I'm getting so much rest. I'm getting my beauty sleep. I'm in great shape. Why are they trying to wake me up? Don't they care about me? Um, my grandma, my appreciation group, gives this example that he was cleaning the house, his house in California. So he opened windows to recycle the air in the house. And he was cleaning different surfaces and a bird came in through the window. And my grandma thought, that's not good. Birds inside houses is not a good combination. So he tried to usher the bird out. Of course, the bird's a wild bird. This is not like your pet canary. And the bird started to freak out. He started to become very afraid and fly from room to room, thinking, I'm sure, this person is trying to kill me. I've done nothing to them, and they're trying to kill me. So he would chase them into one room, open the window, try to get them to leave that, through that window. Bird would not get the hint and go to another room. Finally, the bird landed on a windowsill. He could feel freedom, open air. Turned to look at my Guru Maharaj and gave him this look that my Guru Maharaj characterized as, you tried to kill me, and now I got free. Sucks to be you. And left, ungrateful, ungrateful that he'd actually flown into a situation that was really dangerous for him. But he'd been helped by somebody who looked like his enemy. And my Guru Maharaj sat down and thought, that's me, I'm that bird. I'm just like that bird. Krishna's opening window after window after window saying, get out. Belong here. Open, open, open your wings. There's a whole sky for you. And I'm thinking, what the heck? Why is God so mean? Why is everything so wrong? Why is it, why do bad things happen to good people? They don't have the perspective. Daksha, however, had some perspective now. He had his teachable moment, and it all came flooding back on him exactly what happened and why. And he could see this danda, this stick that Lord Shiva used. Danda is Two things in Sanskrit. It means literally stick, just like dandavat, to lie down like a stick, as a form of obeisance. And also means a symbol of punishment or control. Um, this danda, this punishment that he received from Lord Shiva, was actually mercy. It wasn't that of malice. It wasn't that of, as Prabhupada would call envy. There was no malice, malicious intent in Lord Shiva at all. It was quite the opposite. But hardly anybody could appreciate that at the time. Lord Brahma could. He understood the context of this whole thing. He understood this is for Daksha's betterment. And as soon as we clear things up with Lord Shiva, everything will be good again. And now Daksha can understand it too. So for us, we're meant to actually um, take that attitude with Krishna. And that's a very deep concept. It can be applied in a lot of ways. We can think, well, this means I should be very receptive to how the devotees give me feedback. That's true. It means I should be very receptive to Krishna's holy name. I should be attentive to it. That's also very true. Bhaktivinoda Thakur says, inattention to the holy name in our uh, Nam Bhajan is actually the root of all the other offenses. Because if you're inattentive to the presence of Krishna through his name, you will develop potentially any or all of the other ten offenses. We can take this principle to mean I should be mindful when I'm doing my service to Krishna, whatever it may be, that this is actually for him, right? I may be a husband, mother, uh, father, wife, whatever, uh, a 
matters so much. Anything that you do with your body and mind, you can do for your own self, selfishly. There are plenty of people in the world who are selfishly being parents and have absolutely no interest in giving any of that to Krishna. Their parenthood doesn't actually serve their spiritual advancement in that sense. And there are many people also who are devotees of Krishna who actively remember, first by practice, and then eventually automatically, by awakened attraction, that their service to their Vaishnava or Vaishnavi spouse, to their Vaishnava and Vaishnavi children, to society, is actually service to Krishna. We heard this yesterday on the disappearance day of Shri Das Babaji Maharaj. I read at random a few different passages from a book of pastimes, and one of them was where Gorka Das Babaji Maharaj praised a, a Vaishnava who had recently got married. And Babaji Maharaj was saying, that's very good, no problem at all. You should therefore view your wife as Krishna's dasi. She is Krishna's servant. She is in no way, shape, or form meant for your enjoyment. You should cook bhoga for the Lord, offer to the Lord, it becomes prasadam. Then you should go and you should serve your wife as if she's your spiritual master. That's how the translation went. You should actually serve her like she's guru and treat her as a Vaishnavi. And in that way, you will be treating uh, a living entity as who is part of Krishna, as part of Krishna, and Krishna's servant. And you'll be free by that from the propensity to try to exploit her. Because this exploitation comes in gross and subtle forms. In the material world, in the material context, we think exploitation means I violate somebody's uh, rights around their body and mind. And that's certainly a kind of exploitation. Another kind of exploitation, more subtle, is to actually treat a living entity as if they are their body and mind. To not treat them as a spiritual soul is also exploitation which means you also have to treat yourself as if you're not a spirit soul. So you're also exploiting yourself. It's bad for everybody. And as soon as you treat others as a spirit soul related to Krishna, it's good for everybody. So, this principle that actually, we're meant to see that Krishna is helping us along. And my favorite um, application of this is actually in terms of Shastra, because if you look at the word Shastra, Prabhupada brings this out, there's a tattoo, there's a verbal root of the word Shastra. Um, Sanskrit is composed of primarily of verbal roots that are modified in different ways. Shas in Sanskrit means to control. So, for example, Shasanam means to chastise. Uh, there's a verse in the Shukhanachitamrita where Mahaprabhu says, my guru considered me a great fool. Therefore, he chastised me, Shasana. And he said, you just chant Hare Krishna, you're not qualified for studying Vedanta. Shas is the root of the word Shastra. Shastra means that which controls. That which controls. In the fifth canto, Lord Prama, when he's approached by Priyavrata, he says, we're actually like bulls with a ring through our nose and a rope on that ring attached to a pole. We have our our little ground, it's a circle. We have no more than that, we are controlled. What are we controlled by? The Vedas. We're controlled by Dharma. We have our nature, and we're controlled by the Shastra. And Prabhupada says, for one who's not gonna be controlled by Shastra, but be controlled by Shastra. Shastra is another word from the same tattoo. Shastra means weapon. One who won't submit to spiritual instruction will be forced to submit to punishment. But that punishment is also mercy, why? 
because the one who's inflicting it is not trying to actually lord it over you, but they're trying to get you to wake up. Because as Prabhupada says, the goal of human life is self-purification, the surrender to Krishna. And that requires letting go of certain things, that requires restriction. For those who are neophytes, we have to become restricted from lower things until we're naturally not attracted to them anymore. And that's not so fun. But for one who doesn't want to accept that line of nivritti marga, of actually letting go of the lower things, then they have to actually accept shastra. Because one way or the other, you're going to get a teaching. You're going to get an education. But um, if we accept the lessons that are coming willingly, it's actually very sweet and very rapid. And if we don't, it's actually a school of hard knocks. It's quite painful, and it can take a long time, up to including multiple, multiple, multiple births. Therefore, the Bhagavatam is speaking out of mercy. Lord Shiva is acting out of mercy. Shastra is what it is, out of mercy. And Dakshin's realizing that. He was suffering tremendously from a really insidious um, disorder. He actually had um, a kind of complex of pride that prevented him from appreciating even a great Vaishnava. And not just not appreciating him, he actively disliked him, which is actually insane. It's the definition of insane. Insane, the word sanity comes from the Latin word for healthy. That which is insane is actually not healthy. Just like if I were to try to eat rock, it would be unhealthy. My body couldn't do anything with that. To actually hate the Vaishnavas or to be indifferent to them is insane. It's actually not healthy. To be indifferent to the Shastra is insane. It's not healthy. But this is a world that's full of insanity. We're, we're actually participating in that because of our own buildup of karma. So, in summary, Lord Shiva, known as Pashupati, protector of the animals, landless, and people, is showing here his position in actually rectifying. When somebody yells at you, don't cross the street, you're going to get run over, and they break your concentration, you're annoyed, why are you yelling at me? That first reaction is one of annoyance, and then you realize they're, help, they're helping me. I was about to get plowed over. I was completely spacing out. I was going to get run over, and they yelled at me to wake me up. And Daksha's in that place. So, we can meditate on this. The psychological phenomenon of first being annoyed and then actually coming to our senses. And use our higher intelligence to stifle that annoyance and to temper it and help us to actually become receptive to the instructions that are coming through all the different channels I mentioned, particularly through scripture. So we can accept Shastra rather than be, so, uh, be, be forced to submit to Shastra. And um, ultimately, as Prabhupada points out, this word Pashu has two meanings, animal and animalistic human being. Uh, in the 10th canto, right before the beginning of the description of Krishna's personal pastimes, the world, uh, there's a verse, Who, except for an animal killer, or a killer of their own self, would ever give up hearing about these pastimes of Krishna, Parishmara says. Because he's been so purified by nine cantos of hearing Bhagavatam from a pure devotee, he is absolutely and utterly uh, just overwhelmingly thirsty for hearing about Krishna. He has so much attraction to him. He's realized this essential truth. 
everybody who's not attracted to hearing about Krishna is killing himself. Because he's having the time of his life, just two days before his, his destined death, he's been cursed to die, and he says, no problem, just talk to me about Krishna. Whenever I die, I die. And if we actually have that realization, we'll also feel, whenever I die, I die. Just don't stop the katab. Keep it coming. Because I want to keep hearing it. Anybody who's not hearing about this is Pashukna. They're actually killing themselves. So this, this focus of the word Pashu is also a, a flash forward seven or six cantos in the bottom tones of that verse, helping us to contextualize just how valuable Krishna Katab really is. Which Prabhupada, of course, realizes and wants us to realize too. Hare Krishna. So, those are some thoughts. Now we will take any comments, questions, and reflections from our online Sangha. Again, sorry for the um, slightly different format. We have shorter classes, and we don't have, uh, other than Shua Prabhupada and the beloved deities, we don't have others in the, in the temple right now. I'm sure that various demigods are here that I can't see. But we'll check with the demigods online first. Sarva is saying, 
Some and Hare Krishna, thanks to the great class of Prabhupada's point that everyone should control senses and mind is similar to Narada's general instructions for civilized humans. Bhagavatam 7, 11, 8 through 12. That's a really nice point. Those verses are actually startling because they're so uh, advanced in, in, in a way. They actually don't touch on the, um, the principle of Krishna Prema, but every single human being, Shudra or whatever you may be, is meant to actually control the senses and mind, be honest and so forth. This is the uh, foundational level so that one can actually make the deeper advancement. Nice point. Oh, this is surrender before we are forced to surrender because being forced will be a bit more difficult. Yes. 